In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everyone, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. It's been a woefully long time since I... Last dropped uh, the installment of the BX Deep Dive, and I hope to get back in the groove starting today. Eh, I started working retail again in the holiday season. <laughs> it just, just wore me out, I guess, but really I have no good excuse. Just general laziness and procrastination. My usual bugaboos and demons. I did get a few calls in the intervening uh, span here, so let's go to those now. Hey, Rob, it's Cody. I'm just calling in on your um, latest BX deep dive. I think it's number four. Um, in the middle of your episode, you're talking about hit points and just allocating a flat number um, when you level up. That's that's actually how 5th edition does it. If you go back and look, there's an option. You can either roll the dice um, for your hit points or you can take the flat number. In each class has uh, a number assigned to it. I think it's one more than half of the hit dice. So like a uh, I think a fighter gets like six, or you can roll his D10, or whatever it is. I'm not too keen on it, but yeah, that's a, that's actually how they do it. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm going to keep plugging through the episode, and I'll uh, give you a call in if I have any more thoughts. Thanks, bud. Later. There was Cody from the No Save For You podcast. Thanks for the call, Cody. I do remember that being part of 5th uh, edition. I was never really clear. It probably spells it out, and I just don't recall uh, whether or not you have to make some kind of declaration at character creation or something that you're going to do that uh or if you get to make that decision every time you level up and get to you know uh, roll for hit points or take the average i mean can you flip flop back and forth as you go up and level i suppose that you know like so many things is just a matter of a dm making a ruling or something but uh where i really was inspired or got the idea from was the the old Atlantean trilogy from Bard Games. They had three different classifications for characters. You were either highly trained and got six hit points a level, skilled and got two, uh, four hit points a level, or untrained and got two hit points per level. So that's kind of where, more where I was um, coming from as far as my uh, inspiration for those things. But uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Moving on to... I don't remember who called next. Well, let's find out. Hey, Rob. Jason here, Nerds RPG Friday Cast. If I only had a D12 and a D20, I'd be pretty happy. Between those two, you can do any other die or any other combination of dice. And um, I think they're all better than the others. So, yeah. Also, big fan of the D12. So, talk to you later. that crowd goes wild yes another d12 lover thank you so much jason i appreciate it although for the life of me i'm trying to think how you can extrapolate a d8 from a d12 or a d20 i'm i'm having a brain freeze i can't think of it i can see obviously d6 d4 d3 d10 percentiles i don't know i'm not seeing d8 but i'll take your word for it Go D12.
Hey, Rob. Um, just been starting to listen to your podcast. Uh, it's Andy from the Grizzly Peaks. And I just wanted you to know that um, the main area of my in my campaign, the main city area underneath the citadel of Gormenghast was this huge like favela thing um, kind of built up around the side of a mountain and um, constructed from all kinds of gang planks and, and walkways and rope ladders and and the sewage would kind of just flow down from the top to the bottom and of course it was called the heap so i am now looking forward to listening to all of your heapishness um happy christmas and um hope uh, hope you enjoy listening to my podcast at some point if you if you have a chance hey andy thanks for the call it's always good to get a call from another uh new podcaster or a new listener to my show um I have been listening to your show and I enjoy it, so recommend everybody give it a try and see what they think. <laughs> yeah, the the heap, I love it. Um, for whatever reason, there are certain words that just strike me as funny, and heap is definitely one of them. I kind of went into it on uh, my initial pot, yeah, my initial episode. I think I described why I chose down in a heap. It's a phrase that I habitually fall into whenever, well, often when people get knocked unconscious or, or go down in the game. It's, I have this comic image of, like, Jeff Galuli hitting uh, Nancy Kerrigan with a, a wrench or something, something ineffectual, you know, just, oh, you just go down in a heap. You know, it's it's something I view as more comic than than deadly or something, even though it often is deadly. Anyway, things like heap and lagoon and, I don't know, um, creature. Those are some, <laughs> some of my favorite words and I always bring a smile to my face. And as far as heap goes, I always think of also the heap in the hills, which was a fortress in the um, Divine Right game in the Kingdom of Pawn. So I, want, I always wanted to, even though Pawn sucked, so... <laughs> so a kingdom to have as a player at uh I always like the the names of their fortresses. So thanks again for the call. And Merry Christmas to you. Hope you had a great holiday season. Additionally to uh many thanks to John Large and um Evil Jeff and Joe Richter for their holiday wishes that they sent me. I very much appreciate it. Hope everyone had a great time had some relaxing times with friends and family or just yeah time alone if that's uh if that's what you dig so hey rob jason here nerds rpg variety cast i heard your resolutions on froth's resolution show it's pretty awesome getting him on your show hopefully you'll get that best left buried on the table if you haven't already and, and i i noticed you left off your deep dive into role master but I included it in my resolution for you, so you're covered there too. And it's, you know, it was out on the air, so it has to be true. Talk to you later. <laughs> there was there was Jason from Nerds uh, RPG Variety Cast again, uh, calling in about my, my call to, to Froth, who was compiling a bunch of gamer 2020 New Year's resolutions. And for the record, you can hold me to these. Mine was A 
to quit buying, or at least for this year, to try and have some kind of moratorium on buying new game systems and instead focus on using all the heaps of game material I already have, and specifically to try and bring at least one of these games to the table this year. Best Left Buried, The Fantasy Trip, or Stormbringer. Um, <laughs> I've already, we had uh, a session of uh, Best Left Buried already, and I'm going to be running it again tomorrow night. After we've played it a few times, I'll probably do some kind of review or something of it. I hesitate to really give a game much of a a thumbs up or down until I've played at least three sessions or something to unless it's just horrible. I mean if sometimes you can clearly see that a game is just not for you, but but usually I think it's best to give it at least three try three tries. Uh, my other resolutions, let's see here. I think it was to oh yeah, to uh uh, finish a second edition of Halberds and Henchmen, which is kind of a reimagining of BX. And uh, I'm hoping to convince my buddy Bill to run some a game of Classic Traveler from, for us. But no pressure, Bill, if you want to run uh, Delta Green, that would be cool too. But I kind of really want to play Traveler. <laughs> Either one's fine, seriously. Uh, Jason would love me to do <laughs> to do a deep dive on Rollmaster and Space Master, but Jason, I've never played Space Master. I bought it uh, on a whim, kind of uh, when I saw it used at a, a secondhand shop, and um, and I used to play Rollmaster. Um, it, it's a it's a fun game. I mean, it's got its place. I, it would be it would be a blast to try and give it a roll again. Um, I don't know if it's something that would really work all that well at my table it, with all those different charts and stuff. If you somehow were able to download all that information into a computer and just be able to somehow one or two click, you know, like long sword offensive bonus of X roll, and it would spit out a result instead of having to find the long sword chart and then, roll on that and oh it's a critical then find the critical slashing table and you know it just kind of goes on and on and on and that's it's one of the things i kind of don't like about dcc too is the constant referring to all these different charts i feel like it slows down the game and sometimes wonder do all those little doodads really improve the game or they just slow down the pace i don't know Anyway, I think the, the <laughs> after I finally finish this BX deep dive, I think I'm going to be off deep dives for a little while, so uh, don't hold your breath on the Rollmaster one, Jason. Maybe sometime, but not right away. Thanks for the call. And now let's move on to the main topic. Back to diving into BX. This time it's the spells. All right, here we are. BX spells. And as I've alluded to before in these deep dives, I'm I'm not going to go over every little nook and cranny in the game. That would not only take <laughs> even longer than what I, I'm currently doing, but would probably make for some pretty boring podcasts. What I'm looking for is more the things that stand out to me, what might be different 
about BX uh, in the various topics I'm discussing. And I don't know, just what what seems kind of interesting to me. And again, I'll also preface this by saying that BX came out of original D&D to some degree. Certainly the Holmes basic as an antecedent and kind of diverged from the AD&D branch. I don't know how much influence each had on one another. I, I suspect other than both coming from OD&D, there wasn't a whole lot of idea exchange between the, the branch of basic and the branch of advanced. So some of these things that I'm pointing out might be like, oh, that's how exactly how it was in OD&D. But my frame, my point of reference is more from the advanced line. So these are differences I see from that. Anyway, in general, the BX versions of spells are more potent than those the same spell in advanced D&D. And that mainly comes about from the duration of the spell. As an example, in Advanced D&D, a Protection from Evil spell cast by a cleric lasted three rounds per level of the caster. In BX, it lasts 12 turns, and there is no variable involved for the level of the caster. Now that makes a huge difference in the effectiveness of the spell. 12 turns is a really long time. That's 120 minutes, which if you equated it to rounds, well, I guess it would be, well, whatever 120 times 6 is. Um, so in AD&D, a first-level cleric casting that protection from evil, it might not even last the entire combat sequence, let alone getting you to another point in the adventure. If you cast that in BX, even at the beginning of the delve, you might be able to get through two, three encounters before it wore off. Uh, the other thing that really jumps out at you is in BX, there's no uh, area of effect that's stated right up front in the, in the block where it has the, the name of the spell. It has range, it has duration, it does not have an area of effect, and that's usually found further in the text, but sometimes it's um, not even given, so you, it's left to the DM's discretion. And that's also a, a notable uh, feature of the BX spells, is that, like so many of the rules, they're much more brief and leaves a lot more to interpretation than what you find in AD&D or 2nd edition AD&D or 5th edition for sure. So, well, and one other thing crosses my mind, and this, this also holds true to all editions, but it's, it's something I'll just mention, is that, and this is not an original thought by any means, but the various spells can often leave a thief character 
completely unneeded. I mean, you look at what the a thief can do. Open locks. Well, there's a spell called knock that does it. Find and remove traps. Well, there's a find trap spell. Hide. How about invisibility or invisibility 10 foot radius? Moving silently. Silence 15 foot radius. Climbing walls. Well, there's levitate, there's fly. There's even things like dimension, door, or pass wall. Read languages. There's a read languages spell. Now, a lot of these spells are actually, you know, second, third, or even higher level spells, but they eventually, and not too far into the game, become available to the spellcasters. And, you know, when the thief has some piddly, like, 30-40% chance to do something, well, the spellcaster can just push aside the buffoon and say, well, here we go, I'll just open the lock with a knock spell or whatever. Um... Now, the thief, of course, has these capabilities, you know, at their discretion. They can use them at will. They're just not automatically successful. And by having that character, it doesn't require the spellcasters to memorize or use up the resources to, to have those spells uh, duplicate those effects. But I think it is just kind of strange that they have a whole class devoted to these skills and then but then have spells that duplicate the same things, kind of rendering that class useless. And it's probably not really a chicken-egg thing. It, I think the spells probably were detailed first, and then in the Greyhawk supplement, the Thief character came out. Um, but anyway, I, it's just kind of an interesting aside, or maybe not so interesting. But on to the spells. So... For cleric spells, here's a few things that are of note. Cure Light Wounds. Sure, you can use it to heal one die six plus one hit points of damage, but you can also use it to cure paralysis. You can choose one or the other. As I alluded to before, Detect Evil. Well, it doesn't really detect alignment. It doesn't tell you he's chaotic or that person's lawful or anything like that. It detects evil intentions or evilly um, enchanted objects. And it specifically says the exact definition of evil is left to each referee and players should discuss this point so that they are all in agreement. Chaotic is not always evil. And this is, again, a really kind of uh, old edition kind of thing where things are left a little vague. It's not a... Um, the, the alignments themselves don't specify if something is evil or not. But in some ways, it's a lot more workable. You can just detect whether or not some creature has the intent to do you harm. Uh, light. Yeah, you can use it to illuminate an area. Um bright enough to read by, but not equal to full daylight, but the almost more, well, definitely the more potent thing you can do is cast it on an opponent's eyes and effectively blind them, and where that becomes almost overpowered in BX is that rules as written, a blind creature cannot even attack, they can't even make an attempt, 
Um, that's something I typically house rule and use the more the AD&D kind of concept where you're minus four to hit if you make an attack uh, blinded. But if you're playing rules as written, I mean, you could uh, basically render you know, a storm giant ineffectual by casting blind or casting light on his eyes to blind him. A first level spell. And the duration is 12 turns, so you are taking that creature out for a long, long time. Uh, protection from evil, just like detect evil. Uh, it's not specifically protecting you from evil creatures, as in a specific alignment creature. It's protecting you against creatures of a different alignment from you. Uh, moving on... The one spell that's, well, no, second level spells, Bless, is a second level spell in BX, and where it's, I think, first level in every other edition I'm familiar with, and it also affects damage, uh, so it gives you plus one to hit, plus one to damage, and plus one on morale, and it lasts for six turns, so, I mean, this is a, a pretty potent spell. A pretty good buffing spell. In AD&D, I think it lasted six rounds. And it affects uh, 20 by all allies, not already in melee, uh, in a 20 by 20 foot area. So this could be a really effective spell. And the reverse blight does the exact opposite. Makes enemies morale damage and to hit, or to hit rolls at minus one. Uh, the one unique spell that BX has, well, at least I haven't seen, is a third level spell called Striking, and that makes one normal weapon do an additional D6 points of damage per attack. And that is in effect as long as the spell lasts. So, it, you know, if you have a mace that's doing a D6, if you cast Striking on it, it starts doing 2D6. Now, uh, it does specify normal weapons, so I don't know if I, you'd probably make a ruling that you couldn't cast it on your plus two mace, but I don't know. I'd maybe allow it anyway. It's a third level spell. Uh, a couple other things. Cure disease um, will kill a green slime. I don't remember if that's um, present in in other versions of that spell or not. Cause disease is interesting in that it describes it as infecting the victim with a hideous wasting disease unless a save is made. The victim's minus two in all the hit rolls. In addition, his or her, her wounds cannot be magically cured and natural healing will take twice as long as usual. And the disease, disease will be fatal in two to 24 days unless a cure disease spell is cast upon the victim. So it's this horrible wasting disease, but other than the initial effect of being minus two on all hit rolls and it becoming fatal, there's no like further debilitating conditions that affect, you know, you don't have like attribute loss or an additional minus one each day or something like that until you die. You just, you're at this point and then you're dead. <laughs> and I suppose if you're taking damage and not being able to to heal that, that's the source of de not being debilitated, but if you're just bedridden, you're not really changing at all. 
Um, what else? Locate object. That's a pretty cool spell, but as usual, you know, aside from the duration being better in um, in BX, it still is so limited by the range that it often is pretty ineffectual. And you know, I. I think I'm not even really going to comment too much on the, the upper level spells, the 4th, 5th, and 6th level spells, because you know what? I never get there anyway. <laughs> the, the characters in, my, in our games usually don't get to the point where they cast anything higher than 3rd level spells, and even that's pretty rare, so... Um, yeah. Um, what you'll find in BX is that almost all the spells are this, you know, this, it's the same uh, list of spells that you see in... I think virtually every version of d and I've mentioned striking as one that I haven't seen in other editions, but I think in the magic user spells, they're all spells that are found elsewhere. It's, there's no, you know, like, unique, only find this in BX in the magic user spells. The, uh, the differences in the, the potency, the durations, and the... Uh, um, and sometimes the, the the text and stuff. But as far as magic user spells, uh, Charm Person lists uh, humanoids up to ogre-sized, which is different than most versions I see where it's basically just man-sized or smaller humanoids. So it's also very powerful in that it the duration is dependent upon the intelligence of the... Uh, the person being charmed, where less intelligent get to uh, have the effects last much longer, and up to a month for creatures with uh, an eight or lower intelligence. So, if you're if you do manage to charm an ogre, he's your pal for a long time. So, that's one of those spells where it's much more powerful than its actual level. Magic Missile has a one-turn duration. Uh, I think others have mentioned this in the past. It's uh, it's kind of a curious feature for an instantaneous spell, but allows you, I, I imagine, to the point being, you can cast it before you have, you know, if you know that a combat encounter is coming up, you can cast it ahead of time and just release it whenever you want and not risk being interrupted. That's my uh, idea behind the intent. The other kooky thing is that, like a lot of things we'll get into later in, in the BX Deep Dive, there's these um, hiccups that occur where you just, rather than having a more linear advancement, you just make a jump. You don't go from, you know, like your saving throw might go from 11 in something at first or first level and then you get a an increase at fourth level and it doesn't just go down to 10 it goes down to nine so it's there's no they could have made it a more gradient uh gradual kind of change but they but they don't and the same thing holds true with magic missile you get one missile when you cast the spell from first to third level and then at sixth level you get three magic missiles. So, 
it, why not just have it like at first you get one, at fourth you get two, at sixth you get three, etc. Now they have these big jumps where you get two more missiles every five levels the caster has gained. Not sure why. Um, read languages is much less useful than comprehend languages. It would be um, <laughs> much more useful if you could actually be able to understand the spoken word in addition to the written word. And uh, Keith, if you're listening, boy, that would make our dungeon crawl so much more, uh, I don't know, the interplay between the various creatures that Otto is charmed and stuff, if he could understand what they're saying, might open up some more role-playing and faction play or something, instead of just pantomime, which the dumb monsters never seem to really understand. Anyway, the read languages as written is a pretty, I don't know, unless the DMs are really trying to provide things to make the spell useful, it's a pretty pointless spell. And read magic, rules as written, unless a magic user burns one of their precious first you know, spell slots on this, they cannot use any found spell scrolls or spell books. You have to have read magic to be able to... to um, decipher those things so not only do you have to burn a spell slot to memorize it in rules as written you have to burn a spell s slot to even have the spell available to you and i don't think you what i don't think you get a third uh first level spell slot in bx until maybe your fifth or sixth level um I'm furiously page turning. Well, regardless, it, even if you only have if you have three, do you really want to burn one of them for read magic? So you're sacrificing, you know, what charm person, magic missile, shield, sleep. You're gonna sacrifice one of those just so you can use spell scrolls. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, you don't get a third. Uh, first level spell slot until your seventh level. So, I mean, rules is written. I don't know how many people will actually take detect or take read magic. Sleep affects 2d8 hit die. Uh, it's the equivalent of a bomb in BX and, and in most versions of D&D &D, it's uh, a spell that is overpowered for its spell level. Sure, there are things that it can't affect, you know, you can't affect undead and stuff, but in BX, even uh, like the fey creatures and stuff are susceptible to it. Um, unlike in other editions of D&D &D where elves and a lot of the fey creatures are immune to charm, it's basically just undead and creatures above 4 plus 1 hit dice. So, yeah, I mean, a first level magic user of the sleep spell can take out two, three ogres, um, can take out a whole troop of orcs. Um, something interesting, it, it gives the range is 240 feet, but it doesn't really designate an area of effect. So how do you parse who is affected friend from foe? Now it does say that 
lower hit die creatures are affected before higher hit die creatures. So are you basically saying uh, that you, the magic user selects a point within range, so within, within 240 feet that they can, uh, that they can see, and they choose that point, and the nearest creatures to that point are affected by the sleep spell. That's kind of how I read it. Uh, it lasts 44 turns, whereas in like AD&D it's 5 rounds per level. Uh, you can, a sleeping creature it says, may be awakened by force with a slap, and may be killed regardless of hit points with a single blow from any edged weapon. That's interesting that it points out you have to use an edged weapon to apply the coup de grace. So I guess you can't have the cleric in the parties in the, the cleanup crew uh, with their mace or warhammer. It has to be someone with a dagger or sword or an axe or something. Um, well, as, as mentioned before, BX is notorious for not having uh, a description for the spell Detect Mat, Detect Invisible. It has that as a spell, but no description. Continual Light, um, like the, and with the Cleric spell too, it's um, a, a really powerful spell for a magic user. It's second level for a Cleric, it's third level. The cleric spell it specifically does say it has the it's the equivalent of full daylight and affects monsters adversely as sunlight um, or as daylight. Um, the magic user spell is not equal to full daylight. ESP it's got a twelve round or twelve turn duration. Uh, it's one round per level in AD and D. Uh, it has an interesting idea here where you are basically hearing uh, the thoughts of any creature within range, but if there's a group of creatures within line of hearing, that's an interesting phrase to parse, line of hearing, a confused jumble of thoughts will be heard, quote-unquote. In this case, the caster may concentrate in that direction for an extra turn to sort out the jumble and concentrate on one creature. It also has the... Well, you find in a lot of these detection spells or um, divination types of spells that uh, two, feet of, uh, like two feet of rock will blo block things or a thin coating of lead. Um, <laughs> that's... Is it operating in some kind of radioactive principle? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, invisibility has an interesting caveat that items that you leave behind um, become visible. So if you're... Yeah, if you put down... You, you're, someone casts the spell invisibility on you, and you put down your rucksack in the pro some somewhere down the line. That sack event becomes visible. Uh, I don't think that's really something that's uh, spelled out in some of the other versions of the game. Levitate 
You can only cast it on your on the caster. They cannot cast it on other things or other creatures. That makes it a little yes, less useful. <coughs> um, mirror image. Uh, you don't need to make a successful attack. You just make need to make an attempt at an attack to to wink out an image, but images are always affected before the caster, so it's um, more advantageous to the caster on one hand, a little less on the other, so, but uh, Phantasmal Force actually details a workable solution and doesn't have the vagaries of a lot of the other additions for illusions. I mean, it spells out exactly if you're creating, like, the illusion of a monster or something, what that will do. It will have an AC of 9 and will disappear if it's hit. If it's used to cause damage, um, the attack will actually cause damage if the, the victim doesn't make a save versus spells. But it will won't affect real damage in that if someone is killed brought to zero hit points by an illusion, they'll just pass out. Um, if someone is turned to stone by the illusion of a Medusa, they'll just be paralyzed, and they have, they wear off after one to four turns. So it's, I think, a much better way of dealing with some of the illusions than, uh, than what's... I don't know, like I said, some of the vagaries that seem to occur in other editions. Uh, let's see. For third level spells, again, a lot of this is the duration making these spells so much better. Clairvoyance lasts for 12 turns versus one round per level in AD&D. A fireball in BX, it's... A lot more simple, it's just a 40-foot diameter area of effect from the point that the magic user indicates within range. In D&D, there's that whole, like, 33,000 cubic feet, and the explosion will fill to, and, and conform to fill, like, an area with blowback and all this stuff, and causes all kinds of... <laughs> arguments and math problems for the prospective DM. It's a lot easier just to say it's a 40-foot diameter. If it's not within 40 feet of this point, it's not affected. Uh, Infravision and water breathing have one-day durations, making them much better spells. And again, then we get to higher-level spells, and I'm just not going to go into them for now. Maybe maybe some other point, but yeah, i you get the general idea. As far as art goes, there's not a whole lot of art in the in the spell section. In the basic book, there's only one image of uh, a lizard man getting tangled up in a web. Looks like he's trying to bite his way out of it, uh, but his hands are up and enmeshed in the web. And yeah, pretty good piece. In the expert set, there's only three images, I think. There, yeah, there's so there's one which I think is kind of funny because it's for Wizard Eye. It's 
and the spell itself says it creates an invisible eye through which the caster can see. It is the size of a real eye and has infravision. The wizard eye will float through the air up to 120 feet, but will not go through solid objects or move more than 240 feet from the caster. The caster must concentrate to look through the eye. So right below this is an image, I think, by Jeff D. It shows a stone wall with a door, a closed door. And on one side is, looks like a, a halfling kind of crouched down with a, watching the door ready to pounce on anything that comes through it. And then directly in front of the door is a, well, a magic user. He's got the obligatory conical hat. He's got a, <laughs> a cloak and a dagger in his belt. And he's kind of cr- bent over a little bit, clutching his forehead like he has some kind of uh, ice cream brain freeze or <laughs> something. And with his hand outstretched, pointing at the door, and there's um, like a mystical, uh, like a mist almost going to the door. And then through the door, the other side has a big, like, crystal ball-sized eyeball with little sparks coming off of it, or and presumably a vampire, or at least someone dressed up like in a suit and cape. And he looks a little bit shocked, but like he's seeing the eye, but maybe he's not. Anyway, <laughs> the, the art shows the wizard eye going through something solid, which it, according to the spell description, can't do. And then it seems to have the, this vampire reacting to seeing the wizard eye, which is supposed to be invisible. So, uh, <laughs> while I like the piece of art, it's not really doing a, a good job of conveying what the actual game uh, rules are for that spell. There's another little piece uh, with a superheroish looking magic user, user casting pass wall making a, a little tunnel in a wall with sparky arcane effects coming out of his hand as he... <laughs> looks like he's uh, just landed from flying or something as, as he casts the spell. He's in an action pose with a billowing cape. And, uh, yeah, this sparks of arcane energy coming out to cause the pass wall. And then there's an air lotus piece for Disintegrate with... The magic user with conical hat and, uh, or at least like a pope hat and uh, a staff with his left hand, of course, it's Air Lotus, pointing at a dragon who is turning to a skeletal powdery mass. All you see is like his, the membranes of his wings and the, the skeleton and stuff. Uh, the dragon looks like he's, um, very shocked <laughs> to being disintegrated here, but this is a the biggest piece, and it's still not even a quarter page. And of course, it's all just black and white and grayscale uh, artwork, like it, like all the stuff in the interior of BX. But yeah, not a whole lot of art in the spells. Um, I guess you know I'll close off there. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, I welcome it as always. Send it. To me via anchor with a voicemail or contact me at bigbalboni at gmail.com thanks for listening don't go down in a heap